Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. As we come now to the celebration of Easter, I think it's important that we take some time and really deal with what it means to talk about the resurrection. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. The four themes of The Leader's Notebook are life, faith, and relationships, and leadership. Today, I want to really delve into the category of faith. What is the faith of the believer relative to the resurrection of Christ? Liberal theologians have relentlessly attacked for 2,000 years the resurrection of Christ, whether or not it was real. Some have claimed that the resurrection was not physical, but communal. In other words, they would have us believe that Jesus' followers so badly wanted for him to be alive that in the space between them, they just made it so. These so-called theologians claimed that Jesus' resurrection was not bodily, but cultural and emotional, a shared hope so desperately held among them that believed him, loved him, that it became real in their hearts, but not real in his body. In 1967, one writer, Hugh Schoenfeld, even went so far as to endorse the testimony of the bribed guards in a book called The Passover Plot. According to Schoenfeld, The vinegar-soaked sponge lifted to Jesus on the cross was actually filled with a drug, powerful enough to simulate death. He further claimed that Joseph of Arimathea was in on the plot, rescued Jesus before he died, later resuscitating him for some post-resurrection appearances. Why all this desperate effort to discredit the bodily resurrection of Jesus? because his resurrection is all our hope, the ground of all true faith in Christ. He died and rose again. He did not nearly die. He did not rise from the dead merely in the minds of his followers or in the hearts and affections of his friends. His resurrection was not an idea or a wish. It is a fact, an historical fact. His scars are still visible above. He rose physically. The grave could not hold him. Death had been done to death, and that is the hope of our faith. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul labeled the resurrection as the gospel in which we stand and by which we also are saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul goes on to frame the importance of the resurrection in no uncertain terms in the 12th through the 19th verses of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. 
For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. The scriptures to which Paul refers are the Old Testament, of course, which certainly tied resurrection to Messiah. Later in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul even references both the feast of first fruits and Genesis. Listen to verses 20 through 23. But now is Christ raised from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Testified to by many witnesses, the resurrection of Christ was not some addendum to the story added by medieval monks 500 years later. The resurrection was written of in all the Gospels in substantial complementary detail. Furthermore, the fierce opposition from both religious and political leaders lends weight to the veracity of the resurrection. If Jesus' resurrection was but some fraud put forward by blue-collar conspirators from Galilee, it is doubtful that such substantial bribes would have been paid after high-level negotiations were carried out between the high priest and the governor himself. Powerful forces of darkness are not marshaled to oppose bizarre myths unlikely to outlive the perpetrators themselves. Indeed, Modern books claiming that the resurrection was a hoax perpetrated by the misguided or the power-hungry are part of that same satanic effort to hide hell's greatest defeat behind a cloud of accusation. It will not work. Pilate could not seal the tomb. The soldiers could not guard it. The Sanhedrin could not pay enough bribes to stop the news of Jesus' resurrection from spreading. And faithless unbelievers cannot write enough stupid, evil books to put Jesus back in the tomb. The greatest of all the doctrines of Christianity quickly became its sweetest greeting and response. Shared among believers, sometimes whispered to each other in settings that could have meant death for them, the encoded words spoke of a hope, a shared eternity that neither Rome nor religious opposition could destroy. One would say, Christ is risen, and the other would answer, He is risen indeed. Now that's a great greeting and a great response, especially on Easter. But what does it mean to us in our lives now? Crucified with Christ, we also share in the life of His resurrection. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, I live by the power of him who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Death does not, cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Likewise, it does not, cannot separate us from the resurrection of Christ in his body, the church. I refuse to believe that all the folks who loved me and prayed for me 
who were such a spiritual resource to me and through whom I experienced the resurrection power of Christ are completely lost to me by death. Can death in the grave silence their prayers and separate me from their love? I refuse to accept that proposition. Once in a season of deep need, my wife had a wonderful vision. Years ago, when we were young, just at the end of the Bronze Age, she was a fatigued, overworked, overstressed young wife of a poverty-stricken young preacher and the mother of two babies under the age of three. One day, the maelstrom was on the verge of sucking her under when a marvelous thing happened. The walls around her suddenly disappeared, and in their place, all around her, were cheering throngs, applauding, encouraging her with shouts of affirmation. They urged her on, you can do it. Don't give up now. You're doing great. Hold on to God. Hold on to God. Who were they? They were the body of Christ. At least her cheering section of it. The point is that from them, through that vision, a young mom was lifted and empowered. It was a turning point in Allison's life and in our understanding of what it means that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, as it says in Hebrews 12.1. At times when I'm preaching, especially in the third world, I've been overpoweringly aware at a level beyond mere memory of my friend Jim Mann, who is in heaven. Jim introduced me to missions before he died many years ago. Don't be confused. I'm not speaking of communing with the dead, God forbid. I do not see ghosts and I do not hear the voices of the deceased. I do, however, believe that their lives, his life, meward, through them, cannot be cut off by death. Their heritage, their teaching, their wonderful works and words of comfort come to me like the fragrance of honeysuckle on a soft southern breeze. Those who counseled me and taught me and spent time on their knees in prayer for me, who are now in heaven, are now more alive, not less. Do they pray in heaven? Why not? If the bowls of incense in heaven are the prayers of the saints, then could those prayers not be for me? Death cannot steal my loved ones. In heaven, they know more about the power of the resurrection than I will know until I am there myself. Now I am confined by the temporal realities of my life. My body is ruled by laws. I cannot escape. Gravity, age, and time press heavily on my flesh. In fact, more heavily than they did years ago. And apart from the return of Christ, my days will end in death. Someday I will die. So also will those I love. Yet I also know that through his resurrection, we who believe share a life of prayer, and hope that lives beyond the grave. I may grieve, but I cannot be overwhelmed by grief. Our tears, our sense of loss at the deaths of loved ones are real, and they are no shame. We miss them. We long to see them again. Yet we know what we do not know, and that is all that they are experiencing in heaven. They now live and pray in unconfinement. Free of all restraint, they now see our babyhood, the infancy in which we live and think right now. The dead in Christ understand that a freeing and maturing of the Spirit is the true nature of death for all believers. They understand because they have experienced it. Death has set them free. 
Our grief is for ourselves, not for them. It is like this. A mother leaves her infant alone in its bassinet for a few moments. She says, I'm going to the next room to change clothes. I will be right back. The baby begins to cry the minute she leaves the room. He cannot understand. His view of space and time are an infant's view of space and time. He doesn't know the difference between five minutes and five decades. All he knows is that his mother is out of his sight. And to him, out of sight means gone. The next room is the same as another continent, another world, or a different galaxy. All he knows is that she is some other place, some place far away, never to be seen again. She's just in the next room changing clothes, but he can't see that. She loves him no less and is no less alive to him. She hears his tears and pities him, but she is not panic-stricken. She knows that he will be all right and that his baby tears, though sad, are temporary. She is not calloused or uncaring. She simply knows more than he does. She understands time, different rooms, and the change of clothes as he cannot. Our loved ones who have died in the Lord have stepped into a different room to change clothes. They still live. They still love us and still pray. We can still be touched by their memory, compassed about, and bolstered by their intercession and quieted by their nearness. The resurrection of Christ has made it clear. The dead in Christ are not all that far from those who live in Christ. They who have stepped through the door of death understand what we cannot. And if they could, they would comfort us. We would hear their voices. I'm just in the next room, changing clothes. I will be right back. So when we say the greatest of all the doctrines of Christianity is the resurrection, and that post the original resurrection, when Christ raised from the dead, it quickly became a sweet greeting and response. When we say that this is shared among believers, and it still is on Easter, even to this year, sometimes whispered to each other, sometimes shouted across the front yard of a church. When we say Christ is risen, and someone answers with joy, He is risen indeed. It is not some cold and distant theological statement. It is the very essence of our life in this present realm and in the realm to come. He is risen, my friend. He is risen indeed. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook. 